Gospel of Mark, please, and chapter number 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Brother O'Hare, just to clarify, you were convicted of a crime in Morocco, is that right? So we're preaching with an ex-convict. Just want to clarify that for truth and tidings. Okay. Mark's Gospel and chapter number 10, please. Now we're just going to read selected verses in this chapter and hopefully draw some lessons from it. Verse number 1. And he, the Lord Jesus, arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. Down the chapter, if you will. And look at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Now what follows is not a child, but a young ruler. And we'll just break in. You know the story so well. Verse 20, And he, the rich young ruler, answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. So whatsoever thou hast, then give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. Further down the chapter, look at verse number 23, rather I should have read. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Verse number 28. Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left all. Now that's in contrast to the rich young ruler, and have followed thee. So what are we going to get out of it? Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left. Now please notice the conjunctions. No man hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now, in this time, houses, or no, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecution, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, and they followed and were afraid. Then down the chapter, we'll break into the story of blind Bartimaeus, and at the end of the chapter, read at verse number 49, And Jesus stood still. Only one time in all of the life, recorded life of the Lord Jesus, we read these words that he stood still. And commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he cast them against his garments, rose, and came to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole, faith hath saved thee. Immediately he received his sight, and followed Jesus in the way. Now I'm sure that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word in keeping with what we have already been hearing from the Gospel of Luke from our brother. 
he has really made my uh, opening remarks relatively easy to, to follow. What I would like to do especially is to encourage young believers, if I can do nothing else, to read the Gospels and read the Gospels and read the Gospels. We are all familiar with the fact that the four Gospels present Christ in four different ways. Matthew brings before us the sovereign in his majesty. When we come to Mark, what we've been reading, we have the servant in his ministry, in his service for God. In the Gospel of Luke, we have the Savior in his mercy towards men. And when we come to the Gospel of John, of course, we have the Son and the message he has come forth from God to bring to us. When you are in the Gospel of Matthew, you are looking at the demands of the sovereign. And you can underline these words as you go through the Gospel. The word first and the word follow. We have the monarch who is making demands upon others. He has a right to say what is first. Remember John, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. First be reconciled. Chapter 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Chapter 7, first cast the mood out of the beam out of thine own eye, and so on. So in Matthew, it's first and follow. Seven different times the sovereign gives the command to follow me. He has a right because he is sovereign. When you come to the Gospel of Mark, it's not now the demands of the sovereign but the diligence of the servants. And so 42 times, immediately, henceforth and anon, he is seen moving through the gospel. 12 of 16 chapters begin with the word and, as though it's telling us his service never really ended. It just keeps going moment by moment. And so it's the diligence of the servant. When you come to the gospel of Luke, it's the desire of the Savior. Because you may find it strange to realize it if you haven't thought of it yet. But you don't read of Savior and salvation until you come to Luke's Gospel. And the great word of the Gospel of Luke is peace. It's what the angels announced, peace on earth. And the Lord Jesus goes to the Gospel proclaiming peace, the desire of the Savior. When you come to John, of course, what do you have? It's the absolute dependability of the Son. Verily, verily, 24 times, you can bank on this as he gives us his word relative to those things. But that's more than just academic. Because as I think, as I think of the king, the sovereign and his majesty, that should affect my will. If he is thy Lord, then I should bow at his feet, have no will of my own. It should affect my will. When I think of the servant in his ministry, it should control how I work for God. If I look at the Savior in His mercy, it should control my walk before men. And of course, the Son with His message, worship, should come from my heart because of who He is and all He has come to reveal of God. Now when you come to the Gospel of Mark, Mark is distinct in many ways. Just briefly think with me of the unusual entrance of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. We've been hearing about Luke and his birth, Matthew as a boy, but Mark introduces him immediately plunging into his service. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he comes from all places. God brings his servant from Nazareth of Galilee, and he comes upon the scene to serve God. An unusual entrance he makes. But we see the uncompromising fitness that fits him for service. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sonship, as the fitness for serving God introduced to us at the very outset of Mark's Gospel. We can think of the urgent nature. We can think of the ultimate purpose of His coming, to give His life and so on. But I want you to think especially from Mark chapter 10 of unique words. 
We have read in Mark chapter 10 of incidents in the gospel that are found in all the other gospels. And yet Mark, who is 95% what Matthew and Luke are, gives us unique touches that will give us insights into this servant. Insights into the incomparable servant of Jehovah. So let me just point them out, and I'll give you some headings, because time will not allow us to look at all of these in detail. Come with me, first of all, to verse number 1. While Matthew records similar words, only Mark adds these words, as he was wont. Only Mark tells us that. That he taught the people again, as he was wont. This was his habit. This was his whole life. To teach the word of God to people as he was wont. Come down to the chapter to verse number 16. The incident we have there of the children, both Matthew and Luke give us. But only Mark tells us about this servant. You know what he does? Only Mark adds this touch. He took them in his arms. Only Mark says that. Matthew doesn't. Luke doesn't. Mark tells us that this servant, as he is dealing with those whom disciples think insignificant, unimportant, merely a hindrance to his movements... He took them in his arms. Only Mark. It is only Mark as well who who tells us relative to the story of the rich young ruler. Matthew tells us about him. Luke tells us about him. Only Matthew adds these telling words about God's servant. Jesus, looking on him, loved him. Only Mark adds then in verse number 23 that Jesus looked round about. That expression is five times, of course, in, Luke's, in, in Mark's Gospel, worth tracing the times the Lord Jesus looked round about to scan the horizon. Here, his eyes see a young ruler going away, and he scans to see who was left. He looks round about upon his disciples. It is only Mark who adds for us in verse number 30. A hundredfold now... And in this time, and so on. He gives us that little unique touch. In chapter, in verse number 32, only Mark tells us that Jesus went before them. And in the story of blind Bartimaeus, only Mark adds these words. And I was surprised to find them as I compared the Gospels. Only Mark tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he healed Bartimaeus, says, Go thy way. Matthew and Luke say, simply follow me. Mark says, the Lord Jesus gave him his liberty. Now just quickly to put a title next to each in the event that we don't have time to touch them. As he was wont, I want you to think of the consistency of his ministry. The consistency of his ministry. Never vary. No ups and downs. No bad days and good days. No out of seasons and in seasons. The consistency of his ministry. When I read the Lord Jesus Christ took them in his arms, I want you to think of the condescension that marked them. Children were not unimportant. There were no unimportant people in the life of the Lord Jesus. The condescension that that marked him. When you think of the Lord Jesus and the rich young ruler, the compassion, the compassion that moved him. He looked upon him and loved him. We'll see why that is such such a tremendous statement and so insightful for us. He looked and loved a man who would reject him. He looked upon him, the compassion that moved him. Jesus looked round about upon his disciples, the consideration that he manifested towards those who were faithful. 
Now in this time, houses and so on, the compensation he measures back. We've been hearing about that already, how bountiful is that compensation. Jesus going before them, God's servant, the consecration that marked him. But I hope I have time to come to the end and think of the Lord Jesus and his words to Bartimaeus, go thy way, because in it there is a challenge. There is a challenge that we must meet. So with that before us, let me just selectively mention a few things. We're going to highlight only a few of these as time allows. I want you to think, first of all, as he was wont. I am going to suggest to you the Lord Jesus in his life was marked by holy habits. Holy habits. You remember what we were, was quoted for us already in Isaiah chapter 50. His ear was opened morning by morning to hear as the learned. Luke chapter 4, I think that was already quoted as well. He went into the synagogue as his custom was. We read elsewhere that he went over the Brokidron where was a garden where he oft times resorted thither and Judas also knew the place. Year by year his parents took him up to Jerusalem, possibly from the age of 12 on. His parents went up year by year to the feast. Here was a life marked by holy habits. And he taught them, as was his custom, as he was wont. So let me just talk about holy habits that should mark every servant of God. Everyone who wishes to serve and honor God as this perfect servant did should be marked by holy habits. He was with the people of God. He went into the synagogue as his custom was. Sometimes believers ask, is there any verse that says I need to be at every meeting of the assembly? I think if uh, you were in Morocco and asked Christians that question, they would look at you with astonishment. They gather together under the threat of imprisonment. And we have absolutely nothing to hinder us. And we are so hesitant at times. No, there is no scripture that says you need to be at every meeting. But I do read that Paul writes to the Corinthians, when the whole church is gathered together. When the whole church is together. So it must have been the habit of believers to meet together whenever the assembly was together. Is it a holy habit of yours to be with the believers? Is it a holy habit of yours, morning by morning, as that perfect servant, to have your ear opened, to hear as an instructed one? And what was poured into that ear of the will of God, it says, I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back, and so on. His ear was opened. So, holy habits of reading, holy habits of prayer, holy habits of being with the people of God. Those were things that, that marked the Lord Jesus Christ in, in His service for God. He had a place that He went to to pray. Have a place like that in your life? In your home, in your room? A place that is just somehow, I, I don't know, it's, there's something about having a place to pray that makes every, every other place seem out of place. Forgive me. But uh, just having a place that is a place to pray. A place to read, a place to speak to God, a time that you set aside. You will not find time. You will never find time for reading and for prayer. You will have to make time. 
have to set it aside. Might mean setting the alarm clock earlier. Getting up a bit earlier. Maybe doing away with a few things that you don't really need in life. And you can get by very well without. But the Lord Jesus was marked by holy habits. Now someone says, well, you know, you're making it sound so, so cold and so routine and so rut-like and everything else. I guess it's possible to get into a rut. But on the other hand, no one who has ever been useful for God was not marked by holy habits. And sometimes when we get away from God, if we stay in the holy habits, that's exactly where God reaches us. So never put your Bible aside and say, I'm not getting anything, what's the use? My prayers aren't getting answered, what's the use? There was a servant who moved here in absolute dependence. And as he was wont, he taught the people. Holy habits. The value of being at a gathering. There was a boy, a boy, sorry. There was a twin who missed a meeting one day. And when he saw the other brethren, they said, The Lord is risen. We've seen him. He was here. And Thomas said, no way. I won't believe it. Next Sunday, he was there. And he saw the Lord. Because he missed the meeting, he missed appreciating Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the gatherings of the Christians are the only place you can appreciate Christ. In fact, you should be appreciating Him every day at home and bringing that to the assembly. But you can understand what I'm saying. He missed something because he wasn't there. So, I have to leave that. I'll just mention that. The value of holy habits in in a believer's life. We read read, read in verse 16, Then he took took the children in his arms. This chapter shows the range of, of needs the servant of God must face. Rich man, children, blind beggar. I mean, it expands the, the social scale, doesn't it? You go from a rich man to a blind beggar, to a child, to a young man. To a, every need seems to be in this chapter for us. And the Lord Jesus could faithfully, and I'll use the word successfully, I hate to use that word, but ably minister to every group and meet their needs. The range of need. His readiness. His readiness to serve. Now those of you who know me know I have many problems. One of them is uh, a time consciousness and an absolute hatred of being interrupted in my day. Right? You know, I've got everything listed that I've got to do, uh, all the things I want to accomplish, and a successful day with a tremendous sense of, of satisfaction is when everything is crossed out. Okay? It's all done. And I hate interruptions. You know something I see as I trace the life of the Lord Jesus? He was never interrupted. Now think about that. He was never interrupted. Because he was always doing what God wanted him to do. God has to interrupt us. Because we've got our plans made, our goals set, and and God, no, no, wait a minute. got something else for you today. Some other need to meet today. The Lord Jesus was never interrupted. And so disciples, I think the Lord Jesus is being interrupted and inconvenienced by, by children. What, what tremendous condescension. No one unimportant. No one beneath Him. No one too insignificant. Now I don't think, and please uh, 
listen to me fully here before you think I'm off. I don't think the Lord Jesus had a special interest in children. I think the Lord Jesus had a special interest in everyone. Everyone. And children were among the everyones that he cared for and he loved. And if, if they're being brought, he'll, he'll willingly embrace them, take them in his arms. But what condescension. We read that story, and I, I may, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it fits with what I'm saying right now, of uh, the Lord Jesus standing still for a, a blind beggar. Imagine that. Every time I read that story, my mind goes back. What is it now? It's got to be 45 years, close to 45 years. No, more than that. Wow. It's got to be close to 50 years now. We were um, seniors in high school in Philadelphia, in South Philadelphia, and uh, the presidential campaign was on. And John F. Kennedy's motorcade was coming past our high school. And our, our school principal was obviously a Democrat. And uh, he actually dismissed school for an hour that we would go out and line Broad Street to wave at President Kennedy, or the future-to-be President Kennedy, as his motorcade came down the street. And, uh, you know, there we were, and it zips by, and you don't which car is he in, and no one knows. And uh, we all filed back into class except for one boy. Where's Dave? Nobody knows. About two hours later, Dave, who was a bit overweight, comes huffing and puffing back into class. And of course, where have you been? He said, well, I ran after the motorcade because I wanted to shake the man's hand who was soon going to be president. And people said, you ran after Kennedy to shake his hand? And his comment was just this. You don't think he would stand still for me? No. Politicians don't stop and stand still. For people who can't vote as well. You know what I mean. This, this man, this man stood still for a beggar. This man took children in his arms, cared for them, loved them, showed mercy to them. Let me quickly move. I want to talk to you about Jesus beholding him, loved him. The compassion that moved him. The Lord Jesus loved a man who would never return his love. Now this is God's standard for service. He loved a man who would never return his love. The Lord Jesus loved a man who didn't appreciate him, who actually chose his material wealth over Christ and rejected Christ. The Lord Jesus loved a man who did not want him only six people in your Bible of whom it individually says that Jesus loved them now you can look them up you know three of them all in one family and then there's Paul and so on only six people this is one of them Jesus loved him do you know what it says about God in Matthew chapter 5 he sends his reign upon the just and the unjust he makes his sun to shine upon the good and the evil. If you and I want to be like God, it is going to mean serving, caring, expending money, expending time, expending energy, expending burden on people who never returned, who never appreciate, who never respond. 
And so you bake your neighbor a cake and you invite them to meeting and they don't come and that's the end. No, that's not what the Word of God says. Keep showing kindness. Keep showing kindness. We are not out to manipulate people to come to our religion. We are out to minister to people and to show Christ-like care. And 99 times out of 100, it is going to be unidirectional. Just going one way. And nothing will come back. Think about an Abraham. Lot owed his salvation to Abraham as, as, Lot, as Abraham brought Lot out of Ur of the Chaldees. Lot owed his rescue from the kings, the five kings that had taken him captive. He owed that to Abraham. Lot owed his rescue from Sodom to Abraham. God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. So three times... Three different times, Lot was the beneficiary of the care of an Abraham. And mind you, Abraham risked his life and all he had when he armed the trained servants in his house and pursued after the the five kings who had been victorious. Put everything he had on the line for a brother. You ever read about Lot thanking Abraham? You ever, ever read about Lot even so much as acknowledging Abraham? Yet, Abraham does all of that for Lot. The Lord Jesus is seen here loving, unidirectional. Luke chapter 6, chapter after where our brother read from. The Lord Jesus there, let me just, so I don't misquote it for you. The same principle is found there as he is speaking to his disciples. He tells them he went up into the mountain to pray and he chose 12, including Judas the traitor. And ere he finishes that chapter, he speaks about the Father who is kind unto the unthankful, unto the evil. He chose Judas. He showed Judas every kindness imaginable. In fact, I don't think it uh, takes much brain power that if you were choosing a treasurer, you would have chosen Matthew. I mean, that's the boy who knows how to handle money, right? He, he was the money boy. So give it to job to Matthew. He knows how to keep the books and how to... Give it to Judas. Show Judas special kindness, special favor. Gave Judas the sop as a, an indication of special kindness. Kind to the unthankful, and even to the evil. Now that's a high standard. That's the standard of the perfect servant as he would seek to minister for God. But then Jesus looked round about. As he leaves, as he makes his way down the road, and he is rejected and he shows his back to the Son of God, but Lord Jesus looks round about and he sees disciples left. And we see something of his appreciation for their faithfulness. Something of his appreciation. The Lord Jesus appreciated his disciples. Now, I don't think you need me to tell you that uh, these boys weren't all perfect tens the day they began walking with the Lord Jesus, right? I mean, they had some flaws that needed to be fixed. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ never dwells on their failures. Never dwells on their shortcomings. In fact, as he's in the upper room with them in Luke 22, one of the most amazing statements that I find in in the Word of God is this. 
Ye are they who have continued with me in my trials, my temptations. I appoint unto you a kingdom. If I were there to say, we continue, we've, we've done nothing but fail, disappoint. No, no, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. I, I appreciate what you, what you really mean to do. I appreciate your intent, your motive, your heart. Servants should appreciate others. That's the simple lesson. To appreciate others, to seek to value others who are seeking to please God. I have sometimes summarized 1 Corinthians 13 is that love sees the best in others. Love seeks the best for others. Love says the best about others. Love speaks the best to others. And love stimulates the best out of others. Love always is positive. Easy for us to get into negative ruts, looking at all the failures and shortcomings and uh, idiosyncrasies. The Lord Jesus appreciated, appreciated those who were faithful to Him in any measure in their service for God. Peter is led to wonder, well, he left. The rich young ruler left. What about us? We've forsaken everything. What are we going to get? Let me just raise a warning for young Christians. Because all of us who are gray-headed or less, less hairs have learned this lesson long ago. Don't make contracts with God. So much faithfulness for so much reward. So much faithfulness for so much blessing. If I bring my children to the meeting, they're all going to get saved, right? If I'm at every meeting, I'm going to get that raise. If I do this, God will do this. No. Peter wanted a contract. Lord, we've left everything. What are we going to get? Elsewhere, Matthew 20, the Lord Jesus gives that rather difficult to understand parable of the vineyard and the husbandman going out at the 11th hour and so on and the rewards that were given. He was teaching the fact that confidence in God's goodness will reap far greater blessing than a contract that you've signed with God. Don't look for contracts. Don't think that because because you say no to this unsaved person as a partner in life that God is going to give you a safe partner. He may not. Or because you're at every meeting, everything is going to go smoothly at college. God has promised to honor those that honor Him, but God's honor isn't always defined the way we'd like it to be defined. Very different at times. Doesn't come, nightly, doesn't come neatly gift wrapped and say, God's honor, here it is for you. Sometimes it's hard to recognize until you look back and you realize, God blessed there and I didn't even realize it. What a God. And so here the Lord Jesus is reminding us of the danger of a contract. Let me just mention three or four things. First of all, in verse number 30, you will notice that it is all-inclusive. There is no man. There is no man, no matter who you are. Sacrifice for Christ, you will be compensated by the Lord Jesus Himself. Do you ever think? I don't know if you ever just sometimes daydream. Not a bad thing all the time. The Word of God tells us at the judgment seat of Christ, then shall every man have praise of God. God is going to find something to praise in every single believer. No man has left this who won't be rewarded. 
But you'll notice I stressed for you not just the uh, all-inclusive nature of it, the abundant nature of it, a hundredfold, only place where we have a hundredfold, other than Isaac reaping a hundredfold, and the addition. We leave one thing or another or another, God says you're going to get everything. No man has left houses or lands or father or mother or who won't receive houses and lands and... You see what God is doing? He's adding it all together. You leave one thing, I'm going to give you everything. The abundance with which God gives and recompenses. Now closing to what we have, the Lord Jesus dealing with Bartimaeus. 